Welcome to Mac Geek Gab, episode 916 for February 28th, 2022. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and welcome to Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your tips, your questions, and your cool stuff found. So we pull all of that together. You send them into feedback at MacGeekGab.com, by the way. We pull them all together. We uh, try to find answers for your questions or at the very least discuss them so that maybe as a community, we can find answers for your questions and our questions. Sometimes we share your tips. We share your cool stuff found because the goal is for each and every one of us to learn at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include uh, a new one, coda.io slash MGG, which is one doc to rule them all. This is this is a pretty cool thing to check out. And you get a thousand dollar credit on your first statement uh, if you wind up using the, you know, the paid portion of it and all that good stuff. Uh, Helixsleep.com slash MGG, where you can save up to 200 bucks off your mattress and get two free pillows. The Jordan Harbinger Show, which you can find uh, wherever you find your favorite podcasts and Otherworld Computing's new USB-C to dual HDMI adapter that solves the single display issue with M1 Mac. So we will talk in depth about each of those in a little bit here. For now, though, uh, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John of Brown. Uh, we normally record on Fridays, John. Today we are recording this week. We are recording even earlier because I have uh, a trip to Mexico planned. So we are recording on Tuesday, 2-22-2022, which is kind of fun. You know, it's not the day the show is released. In fact, it's six days before the show is released. But, you know, it's kind of fun. Was that me or was that you? That was me. Oh, okay. I don't know. I hear it in my no, ears. I'm wrestling with my MacBook Pro. Oh, right. Okay. Well, and it just, I reinstalled the OS. We'll see what's going on. No sound, Dave. Yeah, this is weird. Tell, tell us about the, the, the symptoms and the specifics. Uh, the symptoms is if I try to play music like a video, um, I don't hear anything. <laughs> you get <laughs> alert sounds from the it? startup chime. Okay. All right. Okay. So, so it's not a hardware problem. It's a software problem. So my first instinct is reinstall the OS and it just finished doing that but got it, I'm got it. with that now so did you do an over-the-top installation or a, like a nuke and uh, recovery i just said yeah. reinstall the os yeah okay so over the top all right that makes sense i assume before you did that you went into like sound system preferences or whatever to to check yeah yeah, yeah. you know and and your devices were all still there um did you try plugging in like a usb sound device or a bluetooth sound device just to see if you know, if it was all sound devices that wouldn't make sound or if it was just one. Uh, I'll fiddle with it. All right. Yeah. The I'm just, is, I'm just was, trying to think of different ways to troubleshoot it. Cause that's what we do here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is I, I was fiddling with playing sound through my, uh, home pod minis. Oh, okay. And I don't know if that setting took hold or mm. won't, let go right right yeah that's fair that's fair. i mean turn off wi-fi uh to test that 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if you know, if it's a if it's a Wi-Fi speaker, well, don't don't show it to it and see what happens. I'm just I, I'm just I mean, I know you've you've already done the over the top reinstall, and hopefully that fixes it. Uh, but mm-hmm. if if anybody else sees this, or if that doesn't, like that's what I would start looking at. I would also look. I would do all those other things first, but you know, there, there is the oft forgotten audio MIDI setup app. Uh, okay. And, and, and that's a, it's an interesting little, um, little place to go. It It's where you can configure the bit rate and, uh, you know, the sample rate of your output, whether it's stereo or, um, you, you know, mono or, or five channel or whatever, like you, you have more options there than, than is probably healthy for most of us to have, including those of us that know what, what, what they mean. Cause you can really go in there and, and drive yourself crazy, mm-hmm. but, and you can also create aggregate devices, uh, which is actually how my whole setup pulls together. Because like, for example, logic will only see one audio device, but I want to tie several things together. And so uh, you create an aggregate you know, virtual audio device, if you will. But yeah, audio MIDI setup would be another place to, it, it, it's a great place to go to, to sort of force a reset on an audio device because by changing the sample rate from whatever it is to something else. And then if you like back again, that sort of forces the system to, to reintroduce itself to the device. And that can sometimes like give you insight. Yeah. The other thing is I was thinking of maybe deleting a, uh... So I have loopback on this machine. And I don't really need it there. So okay. I'm wondering if it's acting up. I, it could be. I mean, the the trick would be to just go into loopback and delete the any virtual devices that are there because mm-hmm. other than, because that without those loop loopback is doing nothing on your system. That mm-hmm. just it's kind of the way it works. It just inserts a new device into core audio or it doesn't. You know, and and actually in loopback you don't even have to delete the devices. You can. Uh, turn them on and off at will and then they appear or disappear just like you unplugged or replugged a you know an audio cable or a, like a usb cable for an audio device mm-hmm. or something so yeah All yeah right. yeah also audio mini setup you can set master levels for devices so that might it like explain these symptoms right because the hardware works the startup chime does what it does okay great but then, you know, the system comes up, it loads whatever preferences the OS has and, you know, uh, away it goes. And then so maybe setting that slider, I don't know, in an uh, audio MIDI setup. So, yeah, it's a fun place to look or or a not fun place to look, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And if I can't figure it out, well, I still have Apple Care on this machine. So, right, right. Yeah, I guess the next thing to do would be to boot from a clean, fresh install. Or is there is there sound? available in recovery mode like could you go into recovery mode and make it play a sound like in the preference pane i don't Mm. obviously i don't have a machine in recovery mode in front of me so i can't test that but that would be another thing or boot into safe mode and test sound because that would rule out Uh, any third-party stuff mm -hmm. i don't know you know these are all the things thank goodness we recorded this john so if you uh, wind up with problems, you can just come back and play it. And, you know, not only do we record these things uh, for all of you, we also put chapters in so you can use your favorite podcast client. You know, uh, Apple's clients do this. Overcast does it. I think pretty much every podcast client now supports chapters. 
And you can jump around in the episode and say, oh, they were talking about that thing where John's MacBook wouldn't play sound. Let me look. Oh, you see the chapter. Oh, John's MacBook Pro 16-inch Intel won't play sound. Boom. You get right to the beginning of it. You can jump around. So we do that for you. Lovingly handcrafted by us and the wonderful folks that join us in the chat room at live.macgeekab.com when we do the show. Uh, Cool Stuff Found is going to be the focus of today's episode. So we say eight minutes in. The first one is a website called wifispc.com. W-I-F-I-S-P-C.com. And the cool part, what this does is it shows you the Wi-Fi passwords of the public Wi-Fi hotspots near you, which I don't know if you folks have experienced this, but, you know, you go to a restaurant, you go to a cafe, you go somewhere, and then, boom, you know, there's, a, there's Wi-Fi. You see it, but there's a password. It's like, well, why, why you know, what's the password? And you're looking around. You, you think, well, do I need to ask the staff? What's the deal? And uh, and this website will uh, will show you what they are. So they can use your location to find it. I think my location on my machine here is not uh, it's not permitting it. I, it's something weird about Safari on this machine. So if you were watching the video and, and saw that, you see, like, put me in Germany or something. But uh, I don't think I'm in Germany. I said I was in Durham, New Hampshire, and I I meant that. So, but uh, but yeah, super handy. Wi-Fi's PC. Dot com. Had you ever uh, had you ever heard of this website before, Mister Braun? No. Yeah, I I don't know where I found it. Somebody was I think it was some TikTok or something that uh, you know. There we go. Anyway, that's that's my first contribution to cool stuff found. I think you have one from listener Matt. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Let's uh, let Matt tell us what's up. Is, oh, is Matt a, um, is it an audio thing? Oh, I will play Matt then. Great. Yes. Hey, John, Dave, and hopefully Pilot Pete. This is Matt Collin from North Carolina with what I think is a quick tip. This regards having to power cycle my cable modem and my Doxus 3.0 cable router or Wi-Fi router. And that may give you the idea of the problem, which is... Sometimes having, I guess, buffer bloat because I'm not at 3.1 yet. And I don't know about you, but my I have a UPS where I plug in uh, this equipment. And then we have the issue that I can't so easily unplug things. I can't turn a light, uh, flip a switch on the wall for them to go off and power cycle. You have to do each of them, and that's a pain. So I came up with an idea, and it's been working great for me. Um, I will attach the uh, Amazon link, but essentially it's a two outlet switch. So there's a kind of a key fob switch that turns this on and off. You plug on the one side, I plug my cable modem. On the other side, I plug my Wi-Fi router. I plug that into the UPS. And now I have a switched way to power cycle both of those at the same time. I know people say ideally you would do it in sequence, but I have found that it works great. I put that key fob in a very convenient place so I don't have to move my TV and go digging around by my UPS. And when I notice that my internet speeds are running slow, I just hit the off button and wait for 10 seconds, hit the on button, 
and both of them go back on. So work great for me. Um, I know some people have these devices in places that are hard to reach, maybe even in walls and panels. So I hope that helps folks not get caught. And with that, you can cut me off here. That's pretty cool. Huh. I like that idea. That's that's pretty neat, huh, John? Yeah, yeah and it's cheap, too. Yeah, 14 bucks today on Amazon uh, is what I'm seeing on online here. The I, I did want to kind of... Uh, dig in a little bit here. Matt said that he was using this to solve buffer bloat. I think there is some sort of buffering issue uh, or a memory issue that's happening probably on his router uh, and rebooting the router sort of flushes all those cues and caches and all of that stuff. And that, you know, frees things up and he gets better speeds. Buffer bloat. It, that that is not buffer bloat though. Buffer bloat is the very specific thing that happens when you uh, have all of your devices or one device using your entire upstream, and then it slows down all your other devices because of the way cable modems queue things. Uh, they basically just throw out stuff once the once you hit your speed cap. So I, that's not what's happening to Matt. So it, it's just. It's just a different term is is all it is. But I, I think you're right that your router is hitting some kind of limit. If you're seeing this regularly, I would consider getting a different router. Uh, I, I mean, I would I would try and isolate this. So the next time it happens, I would, you know, try just power cycling the router, not the router and the cable modem. So try, you know, one and then the other. See what fixes it. Assuming it's the router, and and that is my assumption here, but again, you know, we're doing this remotely, so can't say for sure. But my gut says it's the router, and you probably now have more devices in your house than that router was built to handle, would be my guess. And it's just getting a little overloaded with managing all those connections. So try, you know, A-B test it. Next time it happens, just restart the router. See if that fixes it. If it does, great. Then the, the time after that, just restart the cable modem and make sure that doesn't fix it. Uh, although it might, because the router might do some cue flushing when it realizes it's uh, disconnected from the cable modem. The other way to test that would be to not power cycle either of them and just unplug the Ethernet cable for a minute between the two. Plug it back in, let it sort of reconnect, but I'm guessing it's the router and replacing the router would be the solution. Um, I think, but it could be the cable modem. So, or upgrade your cable modem. As far as I know, we don't have 3.1 support on our network. So double check that. I, 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 I upgrading your cable modem is rarely a bad idea. Mm -hmm. And Doxis 3.1 will solve buffer bloat. But again, Matt's problem's not buffer bloat, right? Because buffer bloat is the real time issue when you're when you're uploading data, so and up and soaking your upstream. So yes, up, upgrading to a, a newer, you know, replacement D three one cable modem, whatever, probably not a bad idea. But I'm also probably not going to solve this problem unless the issue is a hardware malfunction with your existing cable modem. So yeah, the buffer bloats, not Matt's issue. That's that. I think that's the most important takeaway to, from, from that part of things. But, um, but it doesn't mean Matt doesn't have an issue. It's just called something else. That's all. Uh, but we just got to make sure we're not solving for uh, a different issue. Um, 
Uh, you, so you don't have gigabit speeds available to you with your cable modem, John? Is that right? Uh-oh. I think they, I think they came to get you. Yeah. Yeah, something's going on here. Okay. Um, <laughs> you, you can't buy gigabit because gigabit, Doxis 3.1 is, is no, we, required we actually, for gigabit. Yeah, I, I have to yell at the cable modem people. But no, they, they actually advertise packages. Uh, uh, my package is no longer available, so I have 200 down, 35 sure. up. Um. They now have three different offers, and one of them, two of them are cable modem, but then they're actually offering fiber, which is interesting. Oh, that's one gig up, one gig down. Right. Okay. So that, yeah, that wouldn't be a cable modem. That would be in. Now, why did this happen, you ask? And that's because there's another company in town. uh, Go NetSpeed, I think is their name. Uh, And they're also offering fiber, symmetrical. That's so, good. Uh, I think that's what prompted Optimum to offer a fiber. D- did Optimum actually go and run fiber lines, or are they just piggybacking on the GoNet speed people? Um. Well, from what I understand, most of the cable companies are. It's a fiber backbone, and then it's cable to the house. Correct. So I think they already had the lines installed. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, yeah, yes, you're right. It's a fiber backbone, but generally they're not running fiber on the poles, right? Like the fiber on the poles. Yeah, but they're upgrading because I actually saw them on my street and I'm like, you know, and it was a contractor and I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? It's like, oh, yeah, we're upgrading uh, the optimum. Got it. Connection. I'm like, oh, nice. Okay. So so they are rolling their own fiber out. Okay. That makes Mm -hmm. sense. Ah, interesting. Wow. Good for them. Good for you. Having, I mean, having competition is great. Having competition that both offer fiber, like two fiber options. That's mm-hmm. now you're, now you're living the dream. That's good. Yep. Cool. So when, when are you going to place your order? Uh, I don't know. It's probably cheaper. I mean, my, my fiber is way cheaper, like half the price of what I was paying mm-hmm. for a slower connection with, uh, with Xfinity. So, Hey, with, uh, with regards to Matt's, uh, outlet that he found there. I, I wanted to share something that we have discussed on the show before. This also wouldn't solve Matt's problem because Matt's problem isn't that his connection goes down. It's that his connection gets slow. But if your connection goes down and a reset of your devices is the key, the keep connect uh, plug is a fantastic little thing that I know a lot of you out there have used. And we've talked about it on the show before. You plug it in, you connect it to your Wi-Fi, and it pings a server outside of your network on a semi-regular basis. When it notices that it can no longer ping that server, it turns off your router for whatever, 30 seconds, turns it back, turns off the outlet, which presumably has your router or your cable modem or both, turns them off for 30 seconds, turns it back on, and, and resets things. But again, this wouldn't solve Matt's problem because Matt's issue is not wholly, like, it's not binary but uh, it's more a gray area. But um, I figured I'd mention that Keep Connect plug because it, it's a good one. So, yeah. Uh, moving on, John. Indeed. We constantly get questions routinely. I don't want to say constantly. That makes it sound bad. It's good. We routinely get questions. People asking us, 
is now a good time to buy, you know, whatever Apple product I need next or what Apple product is right for me in this scenario. And Josh Centers, who we all know from tidbits for the last decade plus uh, or almost decade, I guess he uh, I think he's been there for more than a decade, but he's been the managing editor for um, for since 2013 has started a website called applebuyingadvice.com. And he focuses on he makes it really simple. The homepage basically tells you if you are a standard, you know, general user, here are the best things to buy right now. The best iPhones and iPhone 13, 128 gig. The best Mac for most people is a 512 gig air. You know, the the best Apple earbuds, he says, beats fit pro. So there you go. The Apple watch we like series seven GPS. And then you can dig in a little bit and say, well, I I have some specific needs. So. You know, maybe the best iPhone for most isn't necessarily the best for me. Do I need an iPhone Pro? And that question is answered. And, you know, do I want a little phone versus a big phone? And and then he says, skip the iPhone SE for now, because reliable sources indicate that a new SE is around the corner. So AppleBuyingAdvice.com from Josh Centers is my next contribution here for Cool Stuff Found. So, yeah, fun stuff. I like it. Yeah, good. 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 All right, what's next, yeah, man? I, oh, go I ahead. Sorry. I mentioned that. What's next? Um, I think next is Robin, um, who recommends something I've never heard of. Um, and Robin says, I just wanted to share this quick tip in case you don't know it. I find it very productive. Install Carabiner Elements. And we'll link to it in the show notes, of course. Um, and then assign the caps lock to forward delete. So you can then use your left pinky to do that instead of function delete. Okay. Oh, that's, that's pretty quick. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, so I guess, uh, yeah, reduce the, uh, how far your fingers have to go to get something done. Yeah. But just in general, this carabiner elements or carabiner, yeah, I don't know how it's pronounced is it, it changes the function of one key to another key, right? And and so, like, Robin's example is to take caps lock and turn that into forward delete. But you could do it with anything. You can change, you know, like your function keys at the top of the keyboard are generally mapped to media controls where you could map them differently if you so desired. Wow. Huh. I wonder how I haven't used this. I wonder how this differs from like keyboard maestro. If it's, is it simpler? Is it more efficient? Is it just another thing that does the same thing, but differently? Huh. I like it. Interesting. Huh? Cool. I see. I love learning about this stuff. That's great. Yeah, I'd never heard of this before. Fun one. Fun, fun. All right. What else do we have here? Oh, Todd. Uh, has recommended the, uh, well, let's, let's pull up Todd's thing here and see what we've, what we, how Todd recommended this. Todd says, um, my UPS has started alerting me to a low battery at random times throughout the day and night. And, uh, it produces a sound that you do not want to be woken up to. So instead of replacing the battery on my UPS, he says, I decided to upgrade and got myself a new CyberPower CST 1500S. Thinking ahead, uh, I'd like to know if there's an issue with my UPS well before it starts warning me at 3 a.m. That also uh, 
lines up with not getting caught. He says, I'm daydreaming of emails and push notifications regarding low battery and power outages uh, with the USB connected to my Mac with a USB cable. Maybe I can do this because his old one did not have a USB cable. And yes, some UPSs will talk to energy saver. I, I have yet to find something that has the notifications that I want uh, ahead of time. Well, like, like, I would love to know that its battery is getting worse, but I, I haven't ever found one that tells my Mac that, but this, uh, this CST 1500 S, I mean, it, this thing looks like a, a workhorse. It's got a couple of USB ports on the back of it. It's got, or on the front of it, I should say on the back, it's got two sets of out outlets. It's similar to the, one of the ones from APC that I use where, um, it's sort of a tall configuration and, uh, like I said, it has two sets of outlets on the back, one for just surge protection and one for battery power. And I think one of the sets on the back is, uh, oh, there's even some, uh, yeah, 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 that's what it is. So battery and surge on one side and surge just on the other. That's fascinating. Pretty cool. I like it. I never, I guess we have talked about cyber power on the show before. It's not a, that's not a new brand for us, but uh, it's not the first brand I think of, so. Thanks for sharing that, Todd. Keep us posted. I'd love to know how it works out for you and how it links up with your Mac and all that good stuff. So fun, fun. Well, we have lots more cool stuff found to talk about here if we can find the time to do so. We have some of your questions that we'll sandwich in the middle there and then we'll get back to cool stuff found. The next thing that I would love to do, Mr. Braun, if it works for you, is talk about our first few sponsors here. Okay. All right. Hey, listen, you know, if you're a startup or a small business, you know all too well how hard it is to get everyone on the same page, staying on task and working together efficiently. And this is why I really like Coda. This is the doc that brings it all together. In Coda, your text and tables live together in the same docs. All your valuable data, your plans, your objectives, your strategies are all in one place. This helps any team collaborate more efficiently. And there are templates for anything and everything, like a product roadmap, remote onboarding, uh, an OKR tracker, meeting notes. That's just to name a couple of them. And you can take the playbooks published by some of the best innovators and use them for yourself. Say you want to map out your OKRs the same way Pinterest does, right? It's there on Coda for you to read, duplicate, and start using. And Coda works out of the box, and it's customizable. You can create a wiki or a knowledge hub for your team, onboard new hires from anywhere, which is awesome in today's remote world. doesn't matter where they are. Join the productivity revolution. Sign up with Coda today. Take advantage of this special limited offer just for startups. Head over to Coda.io slash MGG to sign up and get a $1,000 credit on your first statement. That's C-O-D-A dot I-O slash MGG to sign up and get a $1,000 credit on your first statement. Coda.io slash MGG. Our thanks to Coda for sponsoring this episode. Can I say something that uh, maybe makes everybody a little bit jealous? I have been sleeping super well for the last year. I'm stoked about this. You can probably hear it in my voice. Well, you can too, because our sponsor, Helix Sleep, is here to help. About a year ago was when we got our Helix Midnight mattress, right? Which is, they have these different models, and it's cool. You go and you you take a quiz at, at uh, helixsleep.com slash MGG. It takes about two minutes to complete, and it matches your body type and your sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. And if, if you sleep with a partner, then, you know, you can both fill it out. It's, it's actually built that way. Lisa and I did it together. 
Helix knows that we're all different. And so they have all these different mattress models to choose from. There's soft, there's medium, there's firm mac mattresses that are great for cooling you down if you sleep hot and even a Helix Plus mattress for plus size folks. So like I said, Lisa and I took it. We were the midnight people and it worked out great. So if you're looking for a mattress, go please to helixsleep.com slash MGG. Take the quiz order your mattress that you've been matched to and the mattress comes right to your door shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again and they've got a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. On top of that, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows just for you, our listeners here at Mac Geek Cab. You go to helixsleep.com slash MGG. Please go check it out. You're going to love the way they do it, and you're going to love what you get. HelixSleep.com slash MGG, and our thanks to Helix for sponsoring this episode. Next up, something a little bit different. Our sponsor here is The Jordan Harbinger Show, and this is a podcast you're definitely going to want to check out because you're a fan of not only high-quality, fascinating podcasts hosted by interesting people, but you are here at MacGeekGab because you like to learn. You like actionable tips. You like Life Hacks, Jordan Harbinger is a master interviewer and has this talent for getting his guests to share never-been-heard-before stories and thought-provoking insights. And then, like I said, without fail, he pulls out tactical bits of wisdom in each episode, all with this noble cause that we share here to make us all more informed, better critical thinkers, and better able to operate in today's world. You really are going to want to check this out and you can't go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger show to your rotation. It's incredibly interesting. There's never a dull show. So you're going to search for the Jordan Harbinger show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you, or you can go to jordanharbinger.com slash start where you're going to find starter packs that he and the team there have created Focused on topics. So if you're into things like criminal justice, they've got all their shows about that packaged together. Cults, scams, and conspiracies. Those are packaged together. Entrepreneurship and investing. Failure and resilience. Financial crimes. Love and relationships. You get where I'm going with this. Go check it out. Find Jordan Harbinger's show. The Jordan Harbinger show. Anywhere you get your podcast or just go to jordanharbinger.com slash start. And our thanks to Jordan Harbinger for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, let's do some questions here from uh, from folks who aren't us. And you want to take us to Lewis to start this off here? Yes. Um, so, yeah, Lewis. <laughs> this is an interesting one. Um, but Lewis says, I'm not absolutely certain this wasn't added by some third party software I may be running. But I've noticed the addition of new shutdown and restart menu options on my 16-inch M1 Max running macOS 12.2.1. In addition to the traditional shutdown ellipsis and restart ellipsis menus, I now have alternate versions without the ellipses. Ellipses? Ellipses. Um, these predictably, predictably allow me to shut down a reboot without the are you sure dialogue. I love it. Interestingly, this change is not present on my 2017-27 inch iMac, also running 12.2.1. Any idea when this appeared and why it only seems to work on my MacBook Pro? Um, and he sent a screenshot with the menu, and I'm like, well, that's interesting. That kind of looks like my Apple menu. 
Oh, really? Oh, okay. This gets interesting for me now. So, I mean, it's uh, interesting to begin with, but keep going. The reason it does is that in a prior episode, Dave, we actually um, suggested a way to create um, additional options in your menus to allow you to use a function key, for example, to do restart or shutdown instead of having to click. Um. And that's what happened in this case. Oh. So if you go to system preferences, keyboard shortcuts, um, that's where you can modify uh, one place that you can modify what you see in the, in the, uh, in the menu. Interesting. So uh, apparently he had done this at some point and forgot. <laughs> Right. And so by putting this in the menu, putting this in keyboard shortcuts uh, and in like the screenshot that you shared, John, you've got restart map to F10 and shutdown map to F12. And by mapping those, it opens up the alternate menu items for whatever reason. This is this must just be a, a, a side effect, right, of doing this on Mac OS. And his screenshot was similar. He had function keys mapped to the 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 ones with ellipses. So, so these are not, these menu items, um, are not necessary. They're not, uh, what's the right word. They are always available to you as Brian Monroe in the chat room points out, you can hold down the option key, uh, when you're over the Apple menu and you can watch those ellipses go away for restart shutdown and for logout. Uh, so you can get this doing that uh. for sure. But it, it just so they're they're there, but they're not there. And it must just be that because you've assigned this this function key to the ones with ellipses, Mac OS then uh, exposes the non ellipses alternates. And as as you are always quick to point out, John, the ellipses means you will get there is more to this before it takes action without the ellipses. It takes the action immediately. So, mm. yeah. Good stuff. I like this. All right. See, we're learning stuff here. This is good. All right. Uh, yes. Great, great, great. Uh, okay. So let's see. Oh, more on that or is it time to move on? Uh, yes. Yes. All right. I guess I know what that means. So Steve asks, he says, is there any way you found to remotely log into your Mac from an external network without first requiring the Mac to be logged into a user account. So on the surface, it seems like, yeah, I do this all the time, but we get deeper into this and we figure out what the actual issue is. Steve continues. He says on my 2015 iMac, I used to have automatic login for my user account enabled and thus never had issues with remote access using real VNC or other remote apps, i.e. log me in, etc. I recently moved to a new M1 MacBook Pro and have file vault and touch ID enabled in this setup. Apple will not allow automatic login for security purposes. You have to disable file vault. In addition, Apple pay and other features are disabled. If you enable automatic login, this issue uh, become the issue becomes what to do if your Mac crashes or restarts for any reason, and you need to remote in. If a user account isn't logged in, then none of the remote access apps are loaded. And thus you can't log in remotely. Says I tried enabling enabling Apple's built-in remote desktop as well as remote login, but uh, that didn't uh, that didn't change anything. So yeah, so the issue here is 
it's not that automatic login is disabled. Automatic login is disabled as a byproduct, as as he points out, as Steve points out, of having file vault enabled. And and that is correct because when you start your Mac up, you need like it very if you if you notice the timing of things, you get the login much earlier with file vault enabled than you would with uh without. And the reason for that is that your Mac needs to decrypt the drive and it needs your key and permission to do that. So file vault disables automatic login because not, not because of some ancillary issue, but because your drive literally, when you're sitting at that file vault login, there is no operating system running. It's waiting to decrypt the drive so that it can load that. And that's the issue with your remote access app. So if you leave automatic login disabled, but file vault also disabled, then you'll be able to run real VNC. Your Mac will start up to the OS's login prompt, not the file vault login prompt. And maybe that's the right way to think about this as I'm explaining it. So we've got the file vault login prompt. We've got Mac OS's login prompt. It will get you to Mac OS's login prompt, which generally has all of these other services enabled. It doesn't matter whether you're logged in or not. So you need to get Mac OS up and running and you can't do that with file vault uh, there. There are some ways to do it on like a one-time basis, but it's not really the way it works. That said, if you've got an M1 Mac, certainly but really any Mac with the T2 chip in it, your drive is encrypted regardless. Uh, the only difference that FileVault makes, and I'm oversimplifying intentionally here, but the only difference that FileVault makes is that it changes whether or not it's using your key to decrypt the drive or only its key to de decrypt the drive, right? But the drive's encrypted either way. It's just who's controlling access to the key. It's actually encrypted with the same key either way because the key is baked into your, your T2 chip, but it's just who who gets to access that key. And uh, with FileVault disabled, your Mac can do it by itself. Um, with FileVault enabled, you have to authenticate before your Mac can do it, if that makes sense. So... I don't enable file vault on my, on my machines anymore, but largely for this reason. Um, I mean, I guess I have it enabled on my laptop. I guess that's not true. I, I do have it enabled on that. Um, and maybe I feel better about that when traveling, but I'm not sure. Like people would still need to know how to log in to get at the data. Cause if they rip the drive out, like if it's in my computer to get at that drive, you'd have to, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, folks, feedback at MacGeekab.com. Uh, you'd have to know my password. I don't think there's any other way. And if you rip it out of the Mac, then it's like not going to talk to it. So. Right. Do I have that right? I think I have that right, John. Yeah. Feedback at MacGeekab.com. That I have right. But yeah. do I have my my file vault? Uh, and security am i thinking about this the right way am i am i going to mexico pro as protected as i think i am i think so all right well that's good correct us if, if you make wrong. it back then uh we'll know well it's more about my data but you know yeah mm -hmm. all right uh yeah 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 so you want to take us to dave john yeah i don't i don't have a i don't know if i have an answer for this okay but here's the question. What do you think the reason is that we can't do Apple use Apple cash card on the Mac? And I'm like, hmm, well, that's weird. So um, like Apple pay cash is, is what we're talking about here. 
Yeah. So the the thing is, if you have the Apple Card, mm. um, one option you have. So technically, it's yeah, the Apple Cash Card. So w- one thing you can do is, if you have an Apple Card, you can take the cash back and put it in an Apple Cash Card. Right, which everybody has. You don't need an Apple mm. Card to have an Apple Cash Card, right? Apple Apple Pay Cash is its own thing. Right. And is not dependent on you having an Apple card. Yeah. And if you okay. if you dig in, it's actually a discover debit card. Sure. But that's sort of a distraction. Um, yeah. The pro the problem is, uh, is that he's right, is that if you want to do Apple Pay on your Mac and I looked at my Mac, uh, all of my cards that are in my wallet on my phone are in the the uh, list on the Mac, except for <laughs> the Apple Cash card. Interesting. Um, so I was like, hmm, well, you know, let's be clever here. A, a lot of cards that you have in your wallet, you can get the actual card number, but not the Apple Cash card. <laughs> I tried. It shows oh. you part of the card number. Oh. And I actually found a support article um, and it's like, nope. Interesting. You can't get the number because if you could put the no, if you could enter the number manually, then it would probably add it to your wallet. But you can't, and I don't know why this is. Huh? Um, that's a good. That's a, I like that hack though of of just hey, find me the number and I'm good to go. Huh? Yeah, but I, I wasn't able to find a way to get the number. Yeah, um, yeah. The best I think you can do. I mean, it's kind of lame, um, but. Uh, the Apple Cash card you can link to a bank account. Correct. Uh, yeah, right. You link it to your debit card or whatever. Your like your so, bank's debit card. and I actually do have debit cards, so you can put debit cards in your wallet. It's just this one just doesn't show up, and I don't know why. That's interesting. Yeah, when you when you first put this in the agenda, I thought, well, maybe that's just because it it's like not a, you know, whoever's testing this isn't doing it on a T2 Mac or whatever. And so I dug in and it's like, mm-hmm. no, it doesn't seem to, it seems odd like that you can't do this, but it, I mean, I, I'm not saying it's incorrect. I'm just saying like, I don't understand why I'm sure it's some, either we didn't code it or we decided for security reasons, we're not going to do it uh thing, but Huh. Yeah. Okay. It still doesn't make sense to me. Like my Mac is, it either supports app Apple pay because, you know, natively, which like my M one Mac does, or it doesn't because mm-hmm. you have to use your phone to do it. But in either case, like if I'm using my phone to authenticate, why would you limit me from using my Apple pay cash? Is that really true? Like, cause the way I, I, so what I'm thinking here is I, uh, I send money via Apple pay using messages all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I go into messages, I, I tap the little lo- row of icons and I hit, you know, the Apple pay cash one and I type in the amount and, uh, you know, off goes the, the money along with maybe a nice little note from me or something. But yeah, I'm looking on my Mac. It, well, the one in the studio doesn't have a T2 chip or anything, so it's like it's probably the wrong place to test. But I'm looking on my Mac, and I don't. Yeah, there's no, like, there's no Apple Pay icon there. So interesting. Maybe somebody so knows why. You got to do the hokey pokey. Yeah. and put it in another 
send it to another card. Right, right, right. Yep. Fascinating. All right. Well, it's just how it is, I guess. Doesn't make sense. I don't like it. I don't like it. No. Uh, all right. We talked last episode about snapshot about restoring from snapshots on Mac OS and how it was a little bit less featured than it could be. And I, I, I mentioned that I was conversing with Mike Bombick about this. Mike Bombick, of course, is the chief architect of carbon copy cloner. Uh, and he also is a former Apple employee, not, but I don't think he worked on any of this there. So th- this, this, his experience with this is very much from the outside, you know, and being a very interested uh, outside third party because he makes this app. He says, so there's two words that he uses. Uh, snapshot restoration versus snapshot reversion and snapshot reversion, according to Mike. And I like his definition is the process of instantly reverting a file system to a previous state. That is functionality that you get from true snapshots on any other file system, but not with APFS, at least not with Apple. Uh, that said, he, he says it's possible to restore so snapshot snapshot restoration you can restore a file system to a previous state from a snapshot and carbon copy cloner offers a few methods for doing that and they have uh they've detailed those in there how to uh how uh, how to restore from your backup section so we'll put that link in the show notes for anybody that that wants to dig into that and you you can you can go in and you mount a Essentially, what you do is you mount the snapshot like a drive and then, you know, can start bringing things over or you can have carbon copy cloner sort of you can you can point carbon copy cloner to the snapshot as a source and then your drive as a destination is is a way of of doing that. Um, going back to why we don't have snapshot reversion, though, gets a little more interesting. Mike says the functionality exists within the file system, but a special. In- so it is there. That. So now now let yourself get frustrated and or at least understand why someone like Mike might be frustrated. Uh, he says the functionality exists within the file system, but a special entitlement is required from Apple to access that functionality. Just, for example, like an entitlement is required to create snapshots and Carbon Copy Cloner, of course, has that entitlement. Apple has thus far been unwilling to grant the reversion entitlement and hasn't been very transparent about why. He says, I make this request every year with specific points about how I'd use this functionality in the context of what we're talking about here. He says, it's important to note that he has requested snapshot reversion with the specific exclusion of reverting APFS system volumes. In other words, he says, I'm willing to get the reversion entitlement, even if it means I can't revert system volumes, uh, and and that's more the based on the assumption that Apple doesn't see a future in third party manipulation of a system volume. So it's like, OK, well, I might disagree with you on this, but if you'll give me access to, you know, let reversion happen for just the user volume, at least that's a step. So it, it gets very interesting um, with this reversion versus restoration. But I I appreciate Mike taking the time to explain this to all of us because I, I was not clear on that, but yeah, reversion is the thing that we would want in a, you know, in a pinch like, Oh, okay, crap. Like malware got married, you know, some 
Uh, it could be, yeah, it could be malware. It could be, you know, some ransomware or something. It's like, all right, great. Just revert and we're good to go. And that functionality is not there for us. And that's a bummer. Thank you for, but it's not a bummer that we know. So now we know, and maybe Apple will grant someone like Mike, you know, this or, or themselves. Like if, if Apple were to provide this functionality, then third parties wouldn't necessarily have to beat down their door to, to get it. But anyway, yeah, you want to, you got any thoughts about that, John? No. Okay, great. You want to take us? Maybe to, I should revert my Mac. See that right. That would be the thing is being able to dance through different spots in there to test out things like imagine how powerful that that would be for us. I mean, it would be I, I can see where you could get yourself tied in knots with it. But, you know, if you know if you know why you're doing what you're doing, then it's OK. And that's kind of what we do here on the show is we try to teach everybody. So anyway, uh, you want to take us to Bob, John? Um. Right. Bob's next. Oh, Bob's me. Oh, yeah. Bob's you. Ah, For some reason, I thought Bob was you. I had it in my thing that Bob was you. So uh, Bob writes that in the last few days, maybe related to the latest OS updates, maybe not. The address book on my iOS devices has duplicate cards via my iCloud account uh, for each and every contact. The address book on my macOS devices has duplicate cards for iCloud and another set of the same cards in the on my Mac section. What's the best way to clean up this mess? Should I delete the on my Mac set of contacts? Uh, I don't know how to do that. Will the iCloud contact cards still be available to me when my internet goes down? So these are good questions. Um, The answer is yes. Uh, Your iCloud contacts and calendars are synced with your device from iCloud, not loaded via an iCloud like web view or something. So you do have a copy of them on your device at all times, regardless of whether you're connected to the Internet. Now, if a change is made elsewhere and you haven't connected and and therefore your phone hasn't synced, it won't see that change, but you'll have it right there. So that, yes, you're fine. You don't need to have things on my Mac. In fact, I would say that my advice for most people is don't put things in the on my Mac section. Just leave them in iCloud and that way they're synced and all of that. Of course, you might have a reason to do it on on my Mac, but make that choice intentionally as far as removing duplicates uh, the first thing i do is i'd go on my mac i'd go into contacts i'd go to file export and save a contacts archive that is the easiest thing from which you will ever restore your contacts database yes you can do it from time machine yes you can do it other ways but creating this very specific snapshot probably the wrong word to use in time of your contacts database and saving it in an easy to find spot is, is going to save you from headaches down the road. So do that file export contacts archive. Uh, Then also on my Mac is where I would do this. I would go to the card menu and choose look for duplicates. And it's kind of a a scary thing to say yes to, because well, you say merge is what happens. It'll show you. I did this the other day. I do this probably every six months when a question like this comes in, John, and somehow it always finds duplicates, which is a little bit unnerving, but it found 62 duplicate cards and 54 duplicated entries. And it gave me some options, but one of them was cancel the entire idea, of course, but the other was merge. And then I could choose to also merge cards that have the same name, but different info, like different phone numbers or addresses. I did not do that because I thought, well, 
let's say, uh, you know, I have someone who, you know, father and sons share the same name. I definitely don't want to merge them together without knowing what I'm doing. And this doesn't show me those things. So I just chose merge and, and moved on. But of course I shot a backup first. So that is my, that's how I would fix a duplicate contacts issue. Um, and do you have any, any thoughts on doing it in a different way, John? No, I've, I did this one time because yeah, my, my contact list is a mess. Um, yeah. And I actually had to run, look for duplicates multiple times before it didn't think that there were any more. That's a great point. No, I, yeah. Run it until it comes back clean. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I found that sometimes you, yeah, you have to do this operation multiple That's times. That's a great, yeah, great, great tip. Yep. Um, while we're talking about duplicates and while we're trying to get ourselves back into cool stuff found to wrap up this episode, John, would you, um, would you like to take us to Lee's cool stuff found about uh, duplicate photos? Indeed. So, um, duplicate contacts, duplicate photos. There's duplicates everywhere. Why? Um, But uh, Lee says, um, I heard the topic of sorting and managing a perhaps unsorted photo collection come up again. Here's the best tool for that whole process, especially when you are faced with a giant collection of images and folders. I'm not affiliated with uh, Overmax in any way. I just use the product every day. And it's called Photo Sweeper from Overmax. And it's $9.99. Cool. and uh, according to Lee, it's amazing. Um, it'll analyze hundreds of thousands of files in complex folder directories. Yes, I've done it. For duplicates and similars, you can adjust whether you want exact matches or how similar matches are after the image scan. Photosweeper uh, will group duplicates or similars into groups that you can manually peruse to select the wanted or unwanted. Um, it will automatically select images you want to keep or remove uh, using combinations of image data, such as file name, image size, image dimensions, date, time taken, file location, file path, length, Apple photo album location, and more. Uh, once you've isolated keepers or files to remove, PhotoSweeper will trash them, copy them, move them, rename them, whatever you want. Uh, and yes, the holy grail of sorting, PhotoSweeper can compare the images between two folders or set of folders to find duplicates and similars. Uh, For instance, this lets you compare a folder of to-be-sorted images to a folder of already-sorted images to prevent accidentally adding copies to a clean collection. Uh Um, And it works uh, with Apple Photo Library. Uh, It's built to do that. So, thank you. Yeah, that's good stuff. I'd always used um, Power Photos, right, Uh, Mm -hmm. for for this um, from Fat Cat Software is uh is the one that I've always used for for this in the past and it has done a fine job but this is great to know about I had no idea that photo sweeper existed all right thank you lee all no right. and a follow up uh, oh, yeah they also make uh, a companion app called photo mill which is a good batch image converter renamer and metadata tool huh look at that so never heard of these guys no, I, yeah, this is what I love about doing this show, man. It's, and we, uh, you folks get to listen. You don't you, like, 
John and I, not, not that this is a complaint, but you know, we, we, we have to, we, we have to pull all this together. We're the stewards of all this and we still get value out of it. But you folks, you, you, you know, yeah. So you, what a win. This is great. I love this. I'd sit here and listen to this show, which I guess is the whole point. I always tell people when they want to start a podcast, I say, we'll create the show that you would want to listen to. And chances are there's other people like you uh, that also want to hear the same thing. Maybe not a ton, maybe a ton. You never know. That's great. Cool stuff. All right. Uh, yeah. You know what? I want to talk about our next sponsor now, John, because, well, it's Otherworld Computing and we love them. But also they have something that we would put in Cool Stuff Found uh, to talk about here during the sponsor spot today. And that is, as I mentioned earlier, the OWC USB-C to dual HDMI 4K display adapter with display link. And the 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 you know sort of the the lead to to go with here is that this easily solves the one external display limitation of Apple Silicon M1 Max, and it leverages DisplayLink technology to do that. So you plug this in to your USB-C slash Thunderbolt port uh, on your M1 Mac, and and it will work with with any Mac or PC that has a USB-C or Thunderbolt port. And then you get two HDMI ports out of this uh, on this thing. And, and you can connect two HDMI displays up to 4K to a single Thunderbolt or USB-C port on any Mac or Windows machine, including, of course, the M1s, as we mentioned. Uh, and you can, you know, th via the OS, then choose either extended or mirror display modes. And it is bus powered via the uh, integrated USB-C cable. It's, it's a 13 inch cable. So it gives you a little bit of room to kind of fit it wherever you want and get those HDMI ports aimed where you want them to be. And uh, it has uh, certified pass through power delivery. So you can fully power and charge your M1 MacBook Pro or Air and run dual displays all through that single port. So on one side of it are the two HDMI ports. And then on the other side of it, is well the cable it goes to your Mac and a power input ports for exactly that and uh, you know they say it's about the size of a you know small iPhone so and it's 119 bucks it is in stock as of the moment that we are recording this and it's that dual display solution for all so go take a look it's at MacSales.com it is definitely cool stuff found and we'd like to thank as always Otherworld Computing at MacSales.com for sponsoring this episode great stuff. All right. You want to take us to Todd, John? Indeed. Cool. Um, so Todd says, following up on your bit last week about tracking your location, it reminded me of two seldom heard of iOS apps that I've used to track how long I'm at a location. Uh, they track the location of my phone and I could reference within 15 minutes when I left the location so I could charge appropriately. Uh, I found them to be super helpful over the years, and I believe slightly more privacy conscious. I don't have a preference of one over the other, um, and use both. What are they called? So, um, where have I been? Okay, that makes sense. And Arc. Yeah, Arc app for location and activity. So All I right. checked them out. The, what's interesting, Dave, is I seem to recall but it seems like apple has changed something um if you go to settings privacy location services system services significant locations from what i recall in the past dave 
it would actually show them to you, but I couldn't get a list. It, 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 if I yeah. go here, it says, oh, yeah, you know, I've, I've logged a whole bunch of them, but when I click on it, nothing happens. Yeah. I, I, I yes, I, I have seen it the same to, thing. It yeah. used to be like, okay, well, you know, you go here pretty often, you know, Westport or Norwalk or, or wherever. Yeah, sure. Um, but it used to list, list them in more detail, but apparently it doesn't do that anymore. So I guess that's, that's the reason you have these. Yeah. I, I'm in there on mine and, in the past, I would not have been comfortable showing this on, uh, you know, a publicly available video necessarily. But mm-hmm. right now, there's nothing in here. It's showing recent records, which is one record, and it shows that I went mm-hmm. to Kohl's the other day. I did. I bought a new suitcase. I'm really stoked about that. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it lists. It does list the date and the time that I was at Kohl's, you know, February 20th at, at 10 in the morning or whatever. Uh but I can't like tap on. It says that there are 93 records. I cannot tap on those. Like, yeah. I can't see them. That's and you're right. You used to be able to dig through and see your own stuff. That's kind of weird. That they don't let you see that anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, it's my data on my I mean, phone. Like, why are you teasing me? It's like, yeah, yeah. I have all this data, but I'm not going to show it to you. But yeah. I'm not, and, and like in order to get into that screen. It forced me to face ID again, right? So I went to system preferences, uh, privacy, location, and then when I tapped on significant locations, it face ID'd me to make sure that, you know, it wasn't about to show the wrong person my private data. And then it didn't even show me my private data. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't like that. That's not, it's not good. It's, that's a no bueno. All right. Uh. Yeah, let's do a geeky one. Sure. Uh, Adrian sends in a cool stuff found for us that I swear I'm going to find. He says, uh, I don't really have an answer to your email woes, although several of you have have chimed in and confirmed that I'm not crazy. I take that back. Several of you have chimed in and confirmed that you have also seen uh, what I called the email conspiracy two episodes ago. So thank you for that. Adrian says, I don't have an answer to that, but thought you might want to take a look at a site that I use from time to time. It's called MX Toolboxes Super Tool. And uh, he thought maybe it would help track down my issue. I don't I don't it's not really related to to my issue, except that it's about mail. However, it's a pretty cool thing. This this super tool at MX Toolbox where you can do all kinds of different lookups so you could you if the issue was that you know a mail server was in a blacklist database you can type in you know that i can i can do an mx lookup for you know macgeekgab.com and it will look it up and it will tell me okay like that routes through mailroot.net and here's their ip address it has a 60 minute time to live uh it says we don't have a dmark record published which maybe we should publish a dmark record sure uh, and we don't have, because of that, we don't have a DMARC policy enabled, uh, but you know, we certainly could, and maybe we, again, maybe we should, but, uh, yeah, that's a pretty cool tool. Thank you for that, Adrian. I like it. I like, I mean, you can do all this stuff with the dig command, a lot of it. Sorry. You cannot look up uh blacklist, but an MX lookup you can do with the dig command, but this website makes it way easier. So I just looked in, uh, the blacklist check for MacGeekab.com, John, and, and, uh, we have, there are none which is outstanding. So that's, that's good. Means we're not known spammers, John. And I use yeah. the term known. DMARC record. 
did you say? What, what is that exactly? Yeah, that is a great question, my friend. Um, and I don't know the answer, but we're about to find out together. Domain-based message authentication reporting and conformance. It's a it's an add-on to the mail protocol that gives like us as the domain owner the ability to say uh, to protect against spoofing. Right. So what we would do in a DMARC record, and this is part of why I haven't set it up because I know I would probably screw it up and people would stop getting our mail because they would think that we were spammers. But uh, the the idea is in the in the DMARC record, you put in who is allowed to send mail as you like what mail servers are allowed to send mail as you. And, and I think like I'm probably conflating what DMARC does and what an SPF record does. But, uh, but the combination of them keeps people from just sending mail as us willy nilly. Uh, people get to check with our domain record, which is theoretically only controlled by us and, and confirm that the server they're getting mail from is the server is one of the servers we have granted permission to send mail as us. Um, so we host our mail at, at Google apps for domains, which we may have to change or pay or start paying for. But um, part of the reason I never did a DMARC record is it's like, well, if Google, like we're using Google, like the rest of the world. So what are we really protecting against? I don't know, you know, mm -hmm. but I don't know. It's probably a good idea. I probably should do it. Believe it or not. I have it on my to-do list and I just keep kicking it down, kicking that can down the road, mm. you know, any more thoughts on that, John? No, no. It's good to know there are protections out there because as yeah. you and I know, um, it's trivial to forge a from address. It is trivial. Yes. I, I, I think I've, it's, it's been, it hasn't been long enough. So I won't tell the story about how we did that with, to get the DNS for Mac observer when we initially bought the site or created mm. the site or for Webintosh when we bought that site 23 years ago. Yeah. 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 Cause I remember actually back in the day, it was funny. I was, you know, showing somebody this, they're like, you know, well, you know, how, how can you make an email look like it comes from someone else? And I'm like, here, let me show yeah. you, you know, locked yeah. into the uh, SMTP server. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. SMP server. And you can just craft, from i think it's a, a reply to i think is this now you can do a from address it's totally fine mm -hmm. yeah 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 yeah, yeah you, the mail but, server's like okay i trust you yeah it doesn't it's not quite that simple now because mm -hmm. most mail servers are locked down with authentication right mm -hmm. so unless you've created your own mail server an outbound mail server you don't necessarily need an inbound mail server to do this but if you create an outbound mail server which is also, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, fairly trivial. There's, there's instructions to set it up. You send up, you know, set up postfix or send mail or whatever. And uh, it, it, then you, if you have control over it, you can decide what you let happen through it. But of course, you might also get flagged as a spammer if you start letting the wrong things happen through your mail server. But like to send mail through Google or even your ISP or, you know, fast mail or any of those, you have to authenticate as you so that the mail server then knows, all right, not only who is this person, but what addresses are they allowed to send as? And, you know, your mail server when like for fast mail, when I go in and I say, OK, I want to put in feedback at MacGeekup.com so that I can send that through fast mail. What it does is it sends me an email to feedback at MacGeekup.com with a code in it, like one of those two factor authentication codes 
So if I don't know that code, FastMail is going to be like, you don't get mail to this address. We're not letting you send mail from this address. That's it. You know, so, but you're right. You set up your own mail server. You can do whatever you want. So yeah, DKM helps. It's good. Hey, um, you know me, John, I love microphones and I especially love microphones that are built for broadcast use, AKA podcasting. And I saw that universal audio just released a bunch of microphones, including their SD dash one, which is their standard dynamic mic. Dynamic mics are really the gold standard or the, the, the standard, I will say the gold standard implies that there's just one of them and there's not, but generally dynamic mics are the standard for broadcast work. They tend to be better uh, in general at proximity stuff and also not picking up all of the room noise. Certainly you can tune the right condenser to do that, but dynamic mics just kind of make it easy. It's part and parcel of, of what they do. And so this, um, this SD one, I, I have not tested it out yet, but it looks interesting. And if you have a universal audio interface, then the two will talk to each other even more, or the, you can get presets for your interface for the, um, for this, you know, specific mic so that you can, you can do that. But yeah, yeah, pretty good. I'm, I, um, I would be eager to check it out. I'm, I'm looking to see what it costs and maybe Sweetwater will tell me what it costs. Yeah, there it is. Shop now SD dash one. It's 300 bucks. Okay. So that's right in the range of, of what you would pay for a good, uh, a good dynamic mic. And it's, it's kind of got a mount like the one that I'm currently using here, which is the uh, ethos from, from earthworks where it, it mounts with a uh, up so that you can put it on a boom stand or whatever. And it just kind of sits right there. So yeah, pretty cool. I like it. I like this. Yeah. And yeah. for those wondering um, if you can't tell, which actually usually I can tell when I look at a mic, uh, who makes it, but I'm on the Heil PR40, which I think is popular with a lot of the... Uh, yeah, it's built for broadcast work and and made made very popular in the podcast world because of Bob's Bob Heil's sort of involvement in the podcast world. Yeah. No, I, I love the PR40. I have, in fact, I have one not too far away sitting next to me because it is my standby. I, but, I, you know, I like to test things and, and see things. And I, I have been surprisingly... I'm surprised at how long this e this ethos mic has lasted here. I kind of figured it'd be a few weeks and then I'd go right back to the PR40, but I, it like it sounds just like the PR40 to me and so it sounds like me and therefore I, I like I haven't been compelled to, you know, unscrew it and screw the PR40 back in. <laughs> uh the next thing that I want to talk about John is the a thing from Anchor and we love the folks at Anchor. It is the B600 video bar. Um, it is, it's a $220 thing. It's a, it's essentially your, your webcam, right? But it has a light bar above it so that you light yourself uh, from the front. You don't have to worry about getting a ring lamp or any of those things. Uh, it connects via, uh, actually tw it has two USB-C connections, one for, the digital connection to the computer, but because it's got this light bar on it, it needs more power than a computer could reasonably be expected to provide. 
And so uh, you have a power input for it as well. It's um, it, it's a pretty cool thing. You can control the uh, the nature and brightness of the light bar. It's got uh, a four mic array in it with its own AI for noise cancellation and and all that stuff. So yeah, I like it. I, I tested it out a little bit. It, I mean, it it works. It does what it does what it's supposed to do. It has a um, it has this um. Uh, you know, one of these mounts that that like just sits on top and is adaptable to whatever monitor you kind of have. I'm trying to I'm having trouble. There it is. Yeah. So it's for those of you watching the video, you can see it's you know, it's like, like most webcams. It, it's sort of this universal top of monitor or top of iMac mount. So, yeah, fun. Uh, what else do we have, John? You have a uh, cool stuff found from Michael. Um. Yeah. Uh, so Michael reminds us that MacPaw has an uninstall feature as part of their Clean My Mac tool, which is available in Setup or separately. Interesting. You know, that makes sense because we were talking about uninstallers mm-hmm. in a recent episode and, and Clean My Mac didn't come up, even though Clean My Mac comes up for lots of other things. Uh, I always forget that it has an uninstaller. Of course it does. It's there to clean my Mac. How could it not? Have you mm-hmm. used the uninstaller in there, John? Um, no, I use uh, App Cleaner. Okay. Okay. Cool. Which uh, also has a, a smart. Right. Hey, look what you put in the trash feature. <laughs> yeah, no, that's super handy. Hazel does that for me. And and I think Clean My Mac will also do that when you enable their uninstaller to sort of watch what you're doing. And that to me, that's mandatory for mm-hmm. you know for this because it's great when you throw something in the trash and it's like hey you want to throw away all the support files and sometimes you do and sometimes you don't but nice to have somebody looking over your shoulder yeah, and if i recall the other thing i like about uh clean my mac is that it has like an enhanced trash feature in that it will not only empty your trash but it will look at other trashes which you may oh. not know this well i'm sure you do dave but if you're listening, you may not know that there's not only one trash. There's lots of trashes all over the place. Right. Clean my Mac knows about them. Like photos trash and mail trash and things like that. Right, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's well, I don't right. think mail trash, but um, maybe not. But yeah, photos yeah. has a separate trash. Um, yeah, several Apple apps have their own kind of private trash, which you may not <laughs> Yeah. Necessarily know about. Yeah. And they certainly aren't emptied when you empty the finder's trash. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. I like it. Um, we are we are past our self-imposed limit, but I did want to share one other thing. We were talking about email, but also we have been uh, talking about the go the goings away of free plans with Google's apps for domains. Uh, so. I wanted to share that I have been looking at this. I still don't think it's time for any of us to make any changes because Google was asking people for feedback about this up until April 1st. I don't think it goes into effect that the, the pricing change doesn't go into effect until June or July. So we have some time, but you know, it's good to do some research and know what our options could be. But I think we're going to have an option from Google uh, that will be that will split the difference between free and their you know more cost prohibitive for like families plan because they're looking to see like are you using this for your family domain because if you are maybe we shouldn't 
charge you as much, right? Is is sort of the implication I get from their the you know the way they're asking. And Pilot Pete found that um form to fill out at Google, but you just you know, you go find the email that you got from Google that says you know, this is going to be going away. And and then there's click, click through to more information. And there's a little form there you can fill out. And it says like, if you're using this for your family domain, as I think they know, they don't necessarily want to send everybody to iCloud. Right. And so, mm-hmm. um, however, in the interest of having options, the, I found two things. Uh, I found a, a website called forward and another one called forward email and these are both places where you can forward your email to something else, right? So the idea would be you have your mail come into your domain, uh, kind of like what Cloudflare is doing, which is another option. If you manage your domain with Cloudflare, you can for free forward email addresses, you know, Cloudflare will will act as your mail receiver and then you can, you know, redirect. And so that's what these do too. this forward MX and uh, and forward email dot net forward email dot net. It has a free plan uh, that gives you unlimited custom domain names, 50 meg attachment limits, and will allow for things like send mail as with Gmail and Outlook like we were talking about here. So that sounds like a great place to go. And it is open source. So you can look and see what they are you know doing or not doing with your stuff. Uh, forward MX. Dot IO has uh, it is not free, but they do have like a $60 a year domain uh, uh, plan that lets you do it with up to 25 domains with unlimited forward emails, unlimited team members, SMTP access to send emails, which is huge and up to 10 more. So 11 total SMTP users like that's a pretty if we have to move to something, 60 bucks a year is way cheaper than, you know, what we would be paying for with, you know, actually buying mailboxes at Google because we have mailboxes. In fact, we can get free mailboxes from Google. They're just Gmail accounts. And so that would be a way to go is, you know, route your custom domain that way. But my guess is that Google is going to find a way, much like Apple has with iCloud Mail, to add custom domains to Gmail that's different from the full blown, you know, Google apps for domains. So watch this space. We will not only be following it uh, for you, but also very much for us because we, uh, we have to solve this problem too. So if you find anything about this, well, what do you do? Feedback at MacGeekGub.com because that's the, uh, that's, that's the funnel. If, if you will, that's where it all comes into. And, and that's what we do. So I don't know. Remember the good old days when you had to create a dot .forward file? Actually, I still have some of those on our... <laughs> well, like, I, I had to... So a dot .forward file... <laughs> so the answer is yes. Um, a dot .forward file is what you put in your home directory on a Unix machine. So you could do this on macOS, that you're probably not getting mail to your home account on, on macOS. But you put... Uh, you create a file called dot .forward, and in that you just list an email address... And any mail that comes into you will be forwarded to whatever's in your dot forward file. And yeah, I had to do that like with our uh, like the root account on our our server that we have at you know servers that we have at Servant or LeaseWeb now that host like all the backbeat stuff and everything. So yeah, 
Speaking of, Adam and I had a call last night going through some some basically the final sort of punch list and scheduling. So hopefully by uh, first week of March, we'll have Mac Geek Cab on its own in its own place. And then and then the evolution begins. So I'm excited about that. Really good stuff. Any more? Anything else to add, Mr. Braun? Nope. All right. Cool. We uh, we appreciate you for listening. Simply that. If you'd like to show that you're a listener, go to MacGeekEb.com slash merch and pick up a MacGeekEb t-shirt. I'm bringing uh, at least one of them with me to Mexico to show it off while we're there. Uh, so you can do it, too. I love seeing all your pictures. You, you folks have been emailing us pictures of you with your shirts and, and all that stuff. It's great. So thank you for that. Of course, thanks for supporting all our sponsors. And by supporting, certainly if they have something that you want to buy, buy it from them. That's great. Really, our job here, if you will, with our sponsors is to simply tell you about them and encourage you to go visit them. So you can go visit our sponsors. And that really does help us. Coda.io slash MGG. Helixsleep.com slash MGG. You can go to jordanharbingershow.com or just search for the Jordan Harbinger Show. And then, of course, Other World Computing at maxsales.com. All those links are in the show notes at macgeekab.com. And you can sign up for our email at macgeekab.com so that you'll continue getting the show notes in your mailbox. It's amazing. What do you think, Mr. Braun? Anything more? Um... One last thing, Dave. Okay. Advice for you. Sure. And everyone listening is don't get hot. Made up.